Hello. Hi, Emily. How are you? Hi, Jennifer. How are you? How much has changed since the last time we talked? Well, my dog crop dusted me in his sleep, which was horrifying. And he's, <laughs> I would say he's certainly uh, going to need to be cooked tonight, but I'm not sure that the meat is safe. <laughs> well, you'll want to wait that one out. Make sure he doesn't have like some sort of parasite living inside of him. Yeah, or like he's part skunk. I think I told you that we're babysitting a dog right now who looks a lot like my dog who died. Mm-hmm. And she's very, he does. very. She does. She's a very, very good dog. Super sweet, but she has some pretty terrible dog farts. Ooh, man! I my cat who died used to fart a lot, and he, I, I don't understand. For such small creatures, the stink is just absolutely astronomical. It's because of their diets. I mean, I, it. Sometimes my cats poop and I look at them and I go, are you rotting from the inside out? And they just look at me like, meow, I'm cute. And I'm like, okay, well, I know what's inside of you now. Snakes and metal rusting parts, apparently. Aries likes to snore. Oh. I don't think he I- likes to snore. He just does snore. <laughs> and it's really funny because I'll, you know, I'll be sitting on the couch reading or... Um, maybe I'm passively listening to something while I'm doing some cleaning and I'll start to hear like these little soft sounds and I'll stop and I'll try to like silence everything and then I won't hear it for a while. So then I'll go back to it and then I hear it again and it's two thoughts. Like one, um, some sort of dark entity is stalking me and it's right, like- My house is haunted. <laughs> yeah. Fucking with me while I'm trying to do shit or two, it's Aries snoring. Which is also oh. concerning to me, because he is a little bit chubby. I have a cat who snores too, and it's adorable. I am always like, oh, Rue is snoring, tiny little kitty snores. I'm also glad that you just told that story about Aries, because recently you and I were talking about how we are constantly talking about our horrible dogs, um, and I think all of my cats have somehow been mentioned on the podcast for being noisy assholes but your cats so far have remained private uh and we have not mentioned them well my cats are my precious babies there Mm -hmm. is aries who is also known as fat baby and fat Mm -hmm. and baby because he is fat and baby he's very soft he is uh one of the people who was a guest on this show threatened to make mittens out of him very often that was i mean (laughs) oh really i didn't know she made that but i mean understandable she also has like four cats too so you know she's got lots of mitten productions of her own (laughs) lots of potential mittens to be made Mm -hmm. yeah listen we do not waste any part of the animals after we turn them into stews and casseroles kobe is the sickly kitty but he is also just a very very sweet cat he just wants you to spoon he's my bud he all the time kobe by the way listeners is a cow cat he's black and white so they name him kobe Kobe. and i call him beef and he has resting bitch face he constantly looks like he is measuring you up and is displeased like the way his patterns are on his face he's just constantly scowling uh and it's (laughs) hilarious and delightful 
But he's a very sweet kitty. He is. And then the third cat, the most recent addition, is Ditches. And she is my little shadow. She is the most polite cat that you'll ever meet. She does say please and thank you, and she's overly cautious about boundaries. So if she wants to be in your lap, she'll stick her paw out a couple times and test the lap space before she's like, is this okay? Can I, can I put both feet on here now? Oh, is this okay? Well, maybe I can put the other foot on here? And then eventually you have a whole cat on you. Ditches... Listen, she's adorable. She has one eye. She's very cute. But she betrayed me because when you lived in New Mexico, we were buds and she would let me pet her and snuggle. And then when you moved to Austin, she was like, who are you? You are danger. And I'm like, I'm not danger. You know me. And she won't let me pet her anymore. So I, the hurt runs deep in our relationship. You'll have a chance to meet with her again. And maybe we can that relationship. Maybe we can reset. Can we rebuild our trust? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so listen, pets, blah blah blah. We love animals. Um, adopt cats. a million pets. Join us. Join us in our constant being covered in fur. And you can tell us your stories about your eight hundred animals on our Instagram. Yeah, I mean, at any point, I want to look at other people's, the pictures of other people's pets. I know That is not an exaggeration. I am in so many groups so that my Facebook, when I log on to Facebook, it's just like all pets. And I'm like, this is heaven. (laughs) This is what all technology was designed for. I am H.O. And you're listening to All Things Terror. Oh, yeah. This is a podcast where we talk about stories from history, science, and current events that are terrifying in so many ways. And apparently in season two so far, our trend has been to begin with some calming balm, some discussion that's just as sweet and cuddly as a kitten's belly before we get into pure nightmare fuel. But Which... A kitten's belly could become pure night- nightmare fuel. But... <laughs> yeah, it's accurate. It could, it could be a trap, just like this <laughs> podcast is. We're talking about cats, and now, Jennifer, you're going to tell me something fucking terrible, aren't you? I am. Oh, yeah. Um, I actually got very sad writing about this and researching oh, it. Oh, no. So, uh, I actually, I needed, like... I needed a whole day after getting through all my my source material to just decompress from the conversation. Oh, man. Is it worse than Sylvia Likens? I think that was the hardest episode for you, me, and Clint in season one. Uh, yeah, that was a tough one. Um, I don't know. I think this really just depends on what kind of person you are. Uh, mm. This is... Truly uh, frightening to me for a lot of reasons. You'll come to understand why. But let's step into 1875 through the early 1900s. Everything is covered in poop. Uh, The 
the streets are just rivulets of poop. People throw poop out of windows. Uh, there are no showers. I'm there. My head is in the right place. <laughs> <laughs> so this is uh, primarily the 19th century uh, U.S. and Europe. Okay, we're killing Indians. Okay, I got it. And um, this is a time period popularly known as the Victorian era as well. We Everyone's obsessed with sex and death. Got it. And uh, fashion is all the rage. Um, so we have a successful uh, middle and upper class that's starting to develop in the economies. And uh, people are trying to figure out how to spend their money. So, They're like, wow, I have extra money for the first time in my life. So, yes. And... Uh, some interesting things happened as a consequence of this. Um, a lot of there are some beginning social movements uh, because middle class has disposable income, or a middle class with a disposable income means that there can be social progress and uh, social programs mm -hmm. for those who don't have that kind of situation. Because, you know, if you're poor, you're working all the time. You're really not making great money. Um, therefore, you don't have time to fight for your own interest. Yeah, well, class does. I think, too, thinking about current day middle class, if you're middle class, you have extra money. You're like, what's the deal with organic foods or where does my meat come from? And so you start researching these things or finding out information about them in order to make choices about your money. And then that leads to you talking about issues and, you know, journalists writing about it. And so even informal sort of social work happens. Yep. So this is this is that time. Yeah. The great reformers. Kind of. Not exactly. <laughs> oh, no. Well, if this if this podcast was called like all things optimistic, then it would be. Yes. So we have a middle class that has a disposable income that hasn't 100% sorted out what it does with this disposable income. So women's fashion becomes a thing. And so let's talk about Victorian fashion. Mm. Emily, what is your concept of Victorian fashion? Um, lots of lace, lots of black. The lace starts at your chin and covers everything you don't want to show ankles because it's going to give men boners um and then like little tiny waists from corsets which i am picturing from that scene in titanic when uh kate winslet is getting dressed by her mother and her mother's like you have to marry this jerk and she's like i don't want to and then she's like i will be homeless and she's like okay fine i'll marry him and then she's like turn around and she cinches are in all tight very specific memory do you know what corsets used to be made from whale bones right correct and also one other thing i have to add to my picture of this is in cinderella the evil stepsisters had big old bustles to make their butts look big oh yeah the end the, the bustles yeah that's that's i have a very complete picture <laughs> i don't know how accurate it is but it is complete so um 19th century fashion was interesting, uh, particularly because we're dealing with a time period where the flora and fauna on Earth was healthy 
mostly and it was had a plentitude so you know it's 2019 if you step outside your house to see like any type of animal or like lush native plants in your area is going to be rare yeah um but at this time like the seas or the seas the the sky would be dark with birds and you know you could just throw something in the water and like catch a fish by you know striking it yeah people were like oh the earth's resources are so great they're gonna last forever and then you know a hundred years later we're like we're gonna die in 10 years (laughs) yeah so this is a time where the plume trade was also very popular oh no i'm already sad in fact feathers at some point were worth more than gold and do you know Emily, what they use these feathers to make? Hats? Primarily hats. Now, there would be adornment on women's dresses, and if you look through uh, some pictures of Victorian fashion, um, you'll also see whole, like, skins of animals used as dresses or coats and this type of thing. So this is the time period we're talking about. Do you have pictures of those? We can put them on Instagram. Yes, um, I have some some links I'll share with you. Awesome. Definitely need to check it out. It's like looking at a graveyard. Yeah, also the idea of an entire dress covered in feathers, or even just like the boob part covered in feathers. One, I do want to pet that because I feel like it would feel nice. But two, also I'd pet it and be like, wow, unnecessary. <laughs> well, there was this one dress that I was looking at that was covered entirely by some sort of white furred mammal that I can't name but it was just sort of it's amazing because you can tell it was like a long skinny animal and you're like probably 70 of those made that dress. Yeah I feel like any white furred animal is probably on an endangered species list right now. Interestingly enough we're gonna talk about that. So is this all gonna be about animals dying? So um (laughs) 19th century there used to be Far more lush flora and fauna than any of us know today. I'm just going to say this outright, and I really don't care about your feelings about it, the rest of the world, but you are living on a dying planet, and you have been deprived of seeing the bounty of creatures and plants that used to be here, even from 100 years ago, even 50 years ago. People that came before you took that away. How dare you come in here with logic and fact? I know. I'm really bad about that. Shut the front door. So, um, the plume industry. Now, you might say, well, people have been killing animals and using their skins and furs and feathers forever for lots of things, but what you don't really understand about this uh, trade for the millinery industry is that it nearly drove huge populations of birds into extinction and in fact many of the birds that are still in the endangered species list is because of this era and the sheer amount of death was insane i I mean bird populations dwindled to astronomically low numbers so just to give you a sense of what this feels and sounds like i'm going to quote some auction numbers at you from various different sources In 1892, there was a feather order by a London dealer. This included 6,000 birds of paradise. Holy shit. 40,000 hummingbirds. 
360,000 varieties of East Indian birds. I'm sorry. 360,000? 360,000. This is one order by one dealer in 1892. In 1902, there was an auction that sold 1,608 30-ounce packets of heron plumes. (gasps) One ounce required four herons. Oh, no. One package required 120 herons. (gasps) So that was a total of... 192,960 herons that were killed for that auction. Oh my god. Uh, 1911, an auction in London included 129,000 egrets, 13,598 herons, 20,698 birds of paradise, 41,090 hummingbirds, 9,464 eagles, condors, and other large birds of prey. 9,472 other species. One auction. Oh my god. I, this is one auction. So you, your numbers, the first one you said was 1892, and the other one was 1911, right? Or the last one? The last one is 1911, and the, the one that was in the middle was 1902. Yeah, so this is like 20 years of this happening. Yes. God, that one, that last one you read about the eagles and condors... There aren't even that many of them alive in the whole world today. Correct. And that's one order. We have we have this plume trade to thank for that. Wow, that's mind-boggling. Like I knew that it was I knew that feathers and hats were a thing and that there used to be way more birds in the world, but I had no idea it was on this sense of scale. That is fucking nuts. And the thing was is like it's not just feathers and hats, like they whole birds would be taxidermied and put on hats too so it's kind of crazy i can't think ever of going out in public with a giant dead bird on my hat that just seems both tacky and gross (laughs) but this is a different time period where people are just like yes this makes me look my most sexy self i really like tacky fashion (laughs) and I realize this will make me sound like a hypocrite, but I bought it at a thrift store. I own a rabbit fur coat that I do wear. So I, listen, I kind of get it, but not really. So um, I think you caught a lot of those birds. I said egrets, herons, birds of uh, paradise, hummingbirds, eagles, condors, um, all kinds of rare birds from India and Lots of birds from bird species outside of, well, out in these different Pacific islands. Yeah, tropical places. Tropical places, uh, ostriches, the passenger pigeon. Uh, These were all really popular birds, including the snowy egret, which was almost hunted to extinction and is still endangered today. Very endangered. Super endangered. Thanks, 19th century plume trade. It's like, the snowy eager is, like, famously endangered. Like, I guarantee if you've seen one, like, mailing that's like, help the environment, it probably has a picture of a snowy egret on yeah. it. That was, that was a bird that ended up on a lot of hats. Mm. So, it wasn't just the scale that these birds were being killed at that drove the population down to ridiculously low numbers. Birds were being killed during mating season when their feathers were, like, their most vibrant, attractive colors. 
oh no, because they're trying to get it on. Yep. So the reproductive cycle was broken. So these populations weren't even able to, you know, recuperate from hunting. They were being slaughtered yeah. during mating. So what would happen Fuck. is that so birds were trying to have sex and reproduce. They were killed. They were slaughtered just like in whole droves. So you know how a lot of birds are. They kind of mate all in one area. Yeah. So hunters would go in, just kill them all at once, slaughter thousands of birds at once. Yeah. And then after they do that, what ends up happening is that there's a shit ton of orphaned birds as well that end up (gasps) starving to death or being killed by prey because the adult birds that were out there busy getting it on are, of course, all dead now. Oh, God, this is just getting worse and worse. So, yay, that happened. Now, some other things I want to point out. Well, you say, what ended up happening, and I'm just going to really run through this and not go into the details because it's exhausting to think about and talk about, but it's not really the point I'm trying to get at, is that there was a mass conservation movement primarily ran by women. This is how the Audubon Society really got founded as well. Uh, Women were, of course, being trapped in this fashion industry, unaware of the fact that the kind of slaughter that was going on, once they found out about the slaughter, there were a group of women that started rising up in all these different places. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that women were kind of at the forefront of that ecological yep. conservation. Go us. They go, we don't wear birds anymore because it's cruel and that's not what us as a people are about, but also not what we women our sex is about. So... um Basically, a bunch of laws got put uh, passed because of these movements that were started by these women who got tired of, like, basically wearing the death of... Carcasses. Huge death of species, right? Yeah. And then also, interestingly enough, um, it was this time period, because of mass bird slaughter and huge dwindling populations, because the dodo bird went extinct, and that was, like, a really sobering moment for people in the past, but, Mm -hmm. you know, they're just living through this again doing the same shit they're going man if we don't stop like we're gonna have a bunch of dodos but it's gonna be different types of you know different types of birds so this also started bird watching as a hobby like legit came out of this oh interesting i'd never heard that before yes so that's really cool fun (laughs) yeah yay (laughs) so you might be sitting there going well thank god that these poor, misguided 19th century people got their shit together before things went extinct, right? No, I'm not, because I know that in this podcast, that never happens. (laughs) That never happens. First off, those populations of birds that were dramatically affected, snowy egret, for example, certain species of birds of paradise that were hunted popularly because of how desirable their feathers were, they're populations just never really recovered even though they're endangered and protected that's still a lot of birds that died yeah roughly five million birds a year were killed for fashion in the u.s alone oh my god and roughly two million birds per year were killed worldwide and the egrets nearly went extinct but there are two species i do want to talk about that didn't make it out of that alive 1914 was the year of the death of the last passenger pigeon. Mm -hmm. Those were also very popular birds hunted for fashion. They don't exist anymore. None of us will ever see that. 
Do you know what the passenger pigeon, what the difference between that pigeon and the ones that are all over cities now? All right. Is that a, do you know what the difference is and you're going to tell me question? No, no, literally like I assume one is like bigger or prettier. No, I don't know. I, I literally am asking. I don't know. Actually, yes. A passenger pigeon looks very different from the pigeons that people see today. It's a, it is a much like sexier bird elegant yes kind of bird it's the audrey hepburn of pigeons it's interesting you you actually can see a picture of a taxidermied passenger pigeon and there is one picture of one alive um before it died the one that died in 1914 but i i think it's in black and white so it's not very good to like see like all of its magnificence well presumably if all of these were turned into fashions there are like museums that have passenger pigeon hats in their archives somewhere potentially yes one would hope (laughs) well they died for nothing right they're like oh no uh once we found out that this was bad we just burned all the garments that had feathers on it that that was a good thing right (laughs) so the passenger pigeon is extinct the last captive Carolina parakeet died in 1918, and uh, by 1939, they declared the species, the wild population, extinct because I haven't seen it for a while. This is a huge loss, too, because the Carolina parakeet, which all of us in the United States will never actually see alive, by the way, it's not going to be something we ever see in our lifetime. They are one of the only two parrots native to the U.S., and it is the only parrot native to the eastern united states and it's dead forever and it's insane because um if you look in historical descriptions of the united states uh this bird actually was just plentiful and used to fly in flocks everywhere and it was like you know seeing like an emerald streak in the sky yeah i i want to say that the dollop did an episode about this i could be wrong i don't know why i have this memory of somebody talking about it but like they would like there would be so many they would like blot out the sun like it would be dark and people just like throw rocks up and hit the birds to kill them because there were so many but yeah apparently they were very colorful yeah there's a there is a picture of a taxidermied species that is in color uh, that's worth looking at you know something that i never thought about until just now listening to your story about how there used to be so many more birds in the world i love old-timey diseases I mean, I don't love them, but I think the story of them is fascinating and really interesting. And a lot of diseases do have huge death tolls in like the 18 and 1900s. And not all, but a lot of things like malaria or yellow fever, dengue fever are spread by mosquitoes. And I wonder if the peak in these diseases follows all of these birds dying because birds eat bugs you know we are so gonna talk about that very very soon (laughs) oh no i stole it (laughs) sorry no it's not that exactly but yes you're kind of on a good track here um Mm. except i'm getting somewhere i promise doing a science (laughs) so the passenger pigeon and the carolina uh, carolina parakeet died for primarily two reasons deforestation for agricultural land and feathers for hats so um moving into a much bigger lens here uh, since the 1970s 
humans have wiped out something like 60% of the animal populations. And scientists say that it would take 5 to 7 million years for the planet to recover. Holy shit, I haven't heard that before. If everything stopped right now, if we stopped being pieces of shit, it would still take the planet 5 to 7 million years to fully recover. And we're talking about biodiversity, we're talking about ecological, sorry, not diversity, but recovery. We're talking about huge levels of recovery. Now, remember what I said, the snowy egret was nearly hunted to extinction. Yeah. And this was, you know, 19th century, so 1875 to the early 1900s. It's 2019. These birds are still endangered. So the effects of human activity and population of animals dwindling is very, very real, and it's slow to recover. You know, you might say, like, well, I mean, we're not killing tigers anymore. I mean, what's, like, a poacher here or there? Well, it's because... The population devastation is very, very intense. It fucking matters. Yeah, it's very, like, it's not just that you killed a million birds. It's that, well, you killed those one million birds and then all the other birds they would have in the future, right? They're not replenishing one-to-one. Right. And then you're also affecting the biodiversity. You're affecting a food chain cycle. You're making lots of changes that are unnatural. Well, and I wonder, too, if this idea of humans being like, we're going to ambush y'all when you're colorful and getting together a mate, birds that survive are smart and are like, well, we're not going to do that. So you're probably disrupting, like, mating seasons and shit. Yeah, the reproductive cycle was really devastated for those bird populations. Oh, poor birds. Now, scientists estimate that the natural rate of instincts uh extinction so natural rate this is shit being fucking normal per 10,000 species two should die every century wow that's really low so over a hundred years 500 species have gone extinct instead of what would have been the expected nine <laughs> oh and this is a uh, from an article that I was reading off of Tech Times. Out of these 500 species, we're talking about 158 fish, 80 birds, 69 mammals, 24 reptiles. Wow. So 500 species over 100 years, the expected number was nine. Well, the other, the thing that's interesting about that, I've, I've seen articles that are talking about, like in the Amazon where there's a lot of deforestation, the animals that are threatened or possibly going extinct is a lot of bugs. And people are like, oh, who cares about bugs? But bugs support other things going up the food chain. And so... You're stealing my thunder, Emily. Oh, no, I'm so sorry. (laughs) I mean, I have never read a book. Please tell me more. (laughs) (laughs) I should have have known that you would talk about this. You love bugs. I love bugs. Of course I'm going to talk about bugs. Oh, no. Okay, I will get to bugs in a second, but this is the last thing I'm going to say. So people think, I I still come across people who think like extinction is something that happened in their past or is going to happen in the future, but isn't happening in their lifetime. I want to point out that that's not true. 2011, for example, is the year that we declared the West African black rhino is extinct. Yeah. That happened in our lifetime. I remember that day. Yeah, not, not just our lifetime, recent memory. Yeah, I remember it too. I was very sad when I read that. Now scientists are talking about how bug populations are 
disappearing. <laughs> what? I didn't alarmingly anything about that. <laughs> Emily, what do you know about uh, deforestation in the uh, Amazon forest? What? <laughs> didn't we stop doing that in the 80s? <laughs> no, no. Go ahead and pick up there. Um, but yes, there are huge number of insects that are disappearing now people are pretty aware of what's going on with honeybees right yeah it's uh, it looks like you know primary primarily the pesticides the of course agricultural land and other things are contributing to this as well as potentially a, a bee sickness uh, i just have to say bee sickness excellent band name all of this is uh, an excellent band name, but also Human Fault. Mm. Human Fault, another good band name. No, Human Fault is the album, Bee Sickness's first album. Yes. Yes, that is absolutely true. And maybe something where like their first song is, Why Am I Not Seeing As Many Bugs? <laughs> but this is real. You know, I grew, I grew up in the South. Oh my god, the South has so many fucking bugs because it never freezes, so they never die. I remember the cicadas, and they are deafening It is how loud they are. I, like, honestly, living in Louisiana and then moving back to the West, that is the biggest difference, is that nighttime is so loud in the South, and then it's so quiet in the West, where it gets cold and everything dies. Love it. Well, I, I have I have been reading about people freaking out about not hearing the cicadas as much as night at night, and it's because insect populations are dwindling. Um, another wow. thing too is that you know in Georgia you can't go anywhere where I lived in the swampy parts without just having gnats around your face the entire time. Oh yeah, knowing that it it is gnats are an important food source for um the ecosystem. Lots of things. And it appears that. Gnats are also diminishing in population. Basically, I was reading this article and it talks about how scientists recently have discovered that the population of monarch butterflies in the United States has dwindled by 90% over the past 20 years, which wow. is a total loss of 900 million butterflies. Now, besides butterflies being pretty, do you know why monarch butterflies are important? Um, because they migrate? <laughs> they migrate they're pollinators and they're bird food yeah oh well i was gonna say uh, that they migrate is just a fact that i know about monarch butterflies <laughs> so it wasn't so much a guess as just here is a fact yeah bird food Ooh, that's like many pounds of bird food missing yes and you know with the so it was also talking about the rusty patch bumblebee their population has uh, dropped by 87 percent over 20 years as well in the United Ooh. States. So I don't, Emily, did you do a lot of road tripping when you were younger? Yeah. I mean, we didn't, we did travel quite a bit. I feel like maybe once a year we went on a big trip, but you know, I grew up in the middle of nowhere and my brother and sister had races and they would, their orthodontist was actually in a city like four hours away. And we would road trip to see family or go skiing. So yeah, we were, I mean, there were some, months growing up where it was like every weekend we were out of town driving somewhere so i don't know what it was like in your area but for me when i because i drove basically we my family would drive from either georgia or north carolina to houston texas um every summer which is 
prime bug season oh my god and prime bug location you couldn't go anywhere without getting bugs all over your windshield right yeah you know now that you mention it i do remember like if we were going camping or even just on the highway like anytime we stopped to get gas my dad would have to clean off the headlights and the windshield like it would be like snow of bugs on your windshield sometimes well that's not happening anymore you're right i never noticed that but you're right oh that makes me feel terrible and people who are noticing that certain native bug populations, like the cicadas or, for example, lightning bugs Aww. or lanternflies or what anyone calls any of those damn things, this uh, this casual observation of the bug population not being as plentiful as it used to be is called the windshield phenomenon. Uh, I mean, one, the fact that it has a name, it's so f- official that it has a name is upsetting. Um, but two, that reminds me of... If you've ever heard people like, old, not our age, probably maybe our grandparents, but maybe like our parents' grandparents would be like, bananas tasted better when I was younger. And they're correct because there used to be a lot of different banana species and they had more intense flavors. And the banana that we know, Cavendish bananas, are like the only bananas that are currently farmed. And there's actually a fungus that they can't stop. And if they, I think it's a fungus, but it's like bananas could go extinct in our lifetime because we've eradicated biodiversity so much that that's like the only banana that's still around. I read one thing that said, you know, like those fake banana flavor candies. Yeah. One scientist or historian or someone said that there's a, an extinct variety of banana. He's like, I think that's legitimately what it tasted like. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, this is true. So when old people say, it was like this when I was young, there might be real reasons, not just they're dwindling neurons. Crazy old, no. (laughs) Respect your elders, people. I mean, yeah, unless they're racist and then be like, that's not okay. So maybe you're not picking up what I'm putting down out there. And you're like, why does any of this matter? Biodiversity matters. Mm -hmm. Now, bugs are are a very, very, very important part of our ecosystem, not only because they're part of a food chain, but because they contribute to lots of important things, like they are primary recyclers. Oh, yeah. Ants and other little creepy species like beetles, they break down things like um, all, all kinds of detritus in the forest, right? And including other dead creatures. Yeah. Uh, trash, dead bodies, <sighs> poop. Yeah, all of it. Yeah. It's important for that material to be broken down because that puts nutrients back into the soil, that creates healthy soil, that helps create, you know, healthy water systems, and then also, you know, their food. And birds eat bugs. Now, if we have nearly extinct bird populations that were affected from the uh, plume trade in the 19th century and the continuing deforestation of our of our planet what is going to happen as these bug species start to dwindle more and more what's going to happen to the bat populations that we talked about in the last episode yeah bats are bats are cool so we already have species in this world that are barely barely still alive that are that are part of our ecosystem that are now being threatened because their food chain is being threatened and it's going to hurt us too because 
if the seas die, we die. If the bug populations and their related counterparts, like birds and bats that we desperately need because they help with pollination and continuing all these different types of cycles in our world, if they die, we die. And you know what? It's really scary because, you know, there was that study that says like, hey, we've got 12 years to start before things start getting really bad and we need to start doing something now, not to stop, but prevent the catastrophic consequences of global climate change and then also just the human activity that we have been doing since the dawn of time and destroying these species that we very much depend on even though we don't realize it. Yeah, well, two things I wanted to talk about or I wanted to say that one, um, I read this book, I think it's by Dan Foley. I could be remembering that name wrong, but it's about coyotes. I love coyotes so much, but in the West, it's a lot of ranching and unlike I mean, there are factory farms, but traditionally it's been sort of like free range. You know, your cattle or your sheep wander around, you round them up when winter's coming or it's time to turn them into hamburgers. And wolves have always been sort of the enemy of ranchers because they would eat, you know, the flock or parts of it. And um, now there aren't wolves in the West Coast, really. They've been reintroduced in Yellowstone and recently um, someone shot one and Idaho, where I live, is always trying to get wolf hunts going. Uh, People really don't like them because they consider them this, like, enemy. But coyotes are everywhere, and coyotes will live in cities. Coyotes have been seen in, uh, like, Central Park in Manhattan. You cannot get rid of them because they're so smart and adaptable. And coyotes will actually pick animals off of herds way more than wolves will. And coyotes will eat, like, pets and you know, chickens and all kinds of stuff. And so people hate coyotes. And this book that I read was saying that, you know, ironically, ranchers drove wolves out of their territory. And, you know, one ecosystem cannot support two canine predators. And so they were like, you know, if they want to control coyotes and and protect their animals from coyotes, they needed wolves in the territory. And so Mm -hmm. this idea of like, oh, I have this problem and I'm going to solve it. Well, you're going to create another problem if you're fucking with animals. Exactly. Yep. The other thing, too, talking to bugs, um, one of my my teachers from undergrad, uh, she's a journalism teacher, but I would call her a mentor. Um, She does environmental research, um, like environmental messages and cartoons and stuff. And I got to see her do a presentation a couple years ago where she presented on extinction and how people care about cute animals going extinct, like penguins and polar bears. And it's good to have conversations around extinctions, but like you need to realize that we have to care about bugs going extinct too. Like bugs are gross and ugly, but they're important about the ecosystem. So care about extinction for non-cute animals too. Especially bugs. Yeah, especially bugs. And birds. Birds make me... In the ocean. Birds make me sad because even like the little parking lot sparrows, I'm like, you're so delicate. Oh, birds always make me really sad. Well, that's my... uh, Well, this this was a straight bummer. (laughs) Yeah, well, it makes me really sad. Yeah. I mean, I get that people resist the truth about our situation but you know it's beautiful about the truth is that objectively it's going to be true no matter what false belief system you have yeah there's all these people that on the same you know umbrella of i care about families and protecting families they don't 
they deny that, you know, the real consequences of, you know, human interaction with species and global climate change. And, you know, if you really care about families, then you should probably care about that, too, because there won't be a place for your family's family's family to live. Well, and I think I like the word consequence because I think part of being an adult ideally should be I have I there are consequences for my actions. Sometimes consequences are good and sometimes they're bad, but there's no action that is truly consequence free. And I need to consider what those consequences are. And if I if I am okay with that falling from my action. And I think that a lot of the denial around climate change is this idea that we want to say, no, there's this is a consequence free thing, you know, throwing trash away or killing an animal or whatever. There's no repercussions. And and the reality is that there's just no such thing as a consequence-free action, as much as we might want to pretend. So, fuck, man. Yep. Yay, you're welcome. I hope I made you feel really good today. Weirdly enough, we did two stories back-to-back about animals. Uh, We did not plan that. We never know what the other person is doing, and yet here we are matching up. It's what we do, naturally. Naturally. <laughs> Nature. So I guess... Naturally. We ha- naturally. We had a lot of things last time about how, or last season, about how the earth is trying to kill us. But that doesn't mean that you try to kill the earth back, people. <laughs> just to clarify. That's not a good plan. Yeah. Just to clarify, that's not the correct path. <laughs> Remember how diseases spread in that... Our friends in the air, and your little insects that crawl around and fly, and some of those fish things in the water, they help control that. Yeah, respect the burbs, wash your hands. Don't kill a bat. Disinfect your dog. I appreciate the spider that lives in your house. This is obviously going to make me sound gross, but listen, I have houseplants, and in the summer, they get gnats, uh, which is annoying, and, you know, but whatever. And I had this one corner of my window. Well, actually, this happened in two windows where a spider made a web. And I was like, oh, yikes. And then I was like, no, man, you good. And so I had spiders literally as pets living in my house because I was like, yes, eat the goddamn gnats. And you can do that because, you know, those little spiders just live in their webs. I don't give a shit. I mean, you know what a supporter I am of leaving the spider alone in your house so yeah and i mean i listen i realize i'm a gross creature and most people probably clean their house so much that spiders don't even want to go in there in the first place but i don't care <laughs> i don't know if spiders have like hygienic requirements or like well for, in order for me to live in this house i need to vacuum at least at least once a week i just assume that it, it demonstrated that i am never dusting or wiping down basically anywhere in my house. I mean, maybe. (laughs) But listen, from my anecdotal experience, not cleaning is actually good for animals. So I'm basically an environmentalist every time I go, nah, I'll dust next week. Yes, maybe. Mm -hmm. Maybe that is true. Hashtag doing a science. (laughs) You are using less chemicals and throwing less things out that's true i also again speaking to me being kind of a dirty person not dirty i'm just i don't use paper towels i have cloth napkins including cloth period napkins because we talk about our periods a lot and um anyway 
So that's my house. It has dust and reusable cleaning stuff. <laughs> Things that you yeah. didn't need to know that you now know about me. Someone you've probably never met. And and now everyone's going to judge you for it. I'm just saying, if you don't use cloth nap or if you don't use paper napkins, then every meal immediately feels fancy because you're using a cloth napkin every time. I mean, that's very true. And I am a millennial, so I don't have a dining room table, and I eat all my meals on my couch, so I need to feel a little fancy somehow. All Things Terror is written, recorded, and produced by two amateurs, Jennifer and Emily. Her sound editor is Clint, and he also knows the mentor I mentioned who researched ugly animals. Her name is Deidre Pike. Our intro music is by Cosimo Fogg. Come chat with us on Twitter at All Things Terror or Instagram at All Things Terror Podcast. We promise season two is not all terribly sad things about animals. But if you did like all this terrible, sad stuff about animals, give us a rate, a review, or a subscribe wherever you listen. It really does help a lot. And goodbye forever.